Hello there, little masters, and welcome once again to the Prancing Pony Podcast, where the good stuff is the joy of the morning before the dew is dry, when every leaf is green. Ah, but the dawn is brief. Westuhal, my friends, I'm Sean Marchese, the real-life Lord of the Mark, and as always, I'm joined by the Man of the West, the Aragorn to my Amer, Alan Sisto. Thank you, Sean. Well, it's been a few episodes since we've had a chance to talk about the Noldor, but we're going to do a little catching up with them and our old friend Feanor in the first part of Chapter 13 of The Return of the Noldor. So Feanor's back. Is, is this the point where we apologize to all the Feanor fans in advance, just <laughs> in case hardly. there's any new ones who haven't haven't heard us beat up on him before? <laughs> I'm not sure that apologize is the right word. Uh, warn, maybe? Uh, remind, mm-hmm. perhaps? Anyway, if you are tired of us beating up on <laughs> Feanor, um, well, you might be in the wrong podcast, but uh, stick around anyway. The good news is we won't be doing much of it after this episode. <laughs> That's a very good point. I try. Yeah. <laughs> this is another long chapter, though. So uh, there's a lot of material to cover, some happy, some sad, and we want to give it what we've come to call the full Prancing Pony podcast treatment. So we're only going to cover a little over half of it in this episode. <laughs> and I hope we'll do all of it with that effect on. Oh, man, I don't think folks will like that too much. <laughs> <laughs> Probably not. Uh, but anyway, uh, yes, uh, do have a lot of material to cover. Mm-hmm. And Alan and I have agreed that because we've got so much to cover, we're yeah. not going to reach into Bar Lemon's bag tonight. Um, the good news is I think we'll get pretty far along today. So mm-hmm. we'll have lots of time in our next episode to cover uh, at least one question and still be in the same chapter. I agree. And, and you know, Barley needs some time off. The poor guy. I mean, he just gets the mail and hands it to us. And that's just so stressful. Uh, He's he had a rough time. Long ago, he asked for leave of absence and we granted him one. <laughs> so why don't we, um, well, let's, first thing, we should go ahead and pull up loaderproject.com's Balerian map that we talked about mm-hmm. a, a little while ago. And uh, let's have that handy and jump right in. So for those of you who have not done that before, the website is lotrproject.com. And click on Maps in the upper left and then Map of Beleriand in the upper right. And have that handy because uh, we will be referencing that a few times. So, Fantastic interactive map. We're both going to be using it. And yeah. if you like it, don't forget to donate. Yeah. Throw them a couple bucks. Yeah. They certainly did a, a great job with this project. I can't. Yeah recommend the site enough it's a great thing to great thing to visit and check out but a lot, lot of cool other stuff there too besides the map but yeah dig in but hey not while we digress the prancing Pony podcast right also known as the digressors yeah or the digressors uh, see ooh, i can't do that i can't see. overdo it no you can't you got to use it sparingly you're doing well All you're right. doing really well, well so far we'll, we'll turn it off for a while so let's dig right on into the text. Um, we're not going to read that first paragraph, but we do see that uh, Feanor arrives. And like we've talked about before, landed in the waste of Lamoth, the, the great mm-hmm. echo uh, on the Firth of Dringist. And um, we get this really cool line about a clamor as of countless mighty voices filled all the coasts of the north. Mm-hmm. It reminded yeah. me of something. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure it did. I'm guessing another cry in this same place, right? That would be the one I'm thinking of. Yeah, Morgoth's crack. Yeah, Morgoth. Mm-hmm. And in fact, that's why it's called the the Lamoth is because of uh, the, the cry of Morgoth's echo. Yeah, very cool. And stuff. it's interesting. It's interesting that uh, you know, obviously, this is a, a cheer. Uh, you know, mighty voices mm-hmm. and clamor, probably celebrating the fact that they made the crossing and they're back in Middle Earth. And yeah, you know, they made hey, the crossing wow. the easy way. 
Yeah, and don't those ships burn real good? Um, but <laughs> but uh, still, I mean, yeah, it, it, I think there's definitely an intentional echo of that um, yeah. that cry of Morgoth. Well, and you know, I was thinking about this after we talked about the burning of the ships and and how they could see it all the way over. Uh, you know, when they were still in the land of Amon, and I realized, of course, the the land was still flat. I, I kept I couldn't get that out of my head. I'm thinking, yeah. Was it that were they that close that they could still see it? I mean, the hell cracks must not have been that long, but uh, no, you know, this was a it's long way away, flat, but it was yeah. flat, so they were able to see it. And uh, so the flames of that burning were, of course, as we saw before, seen by Fingon. But here's mm-hmm. the kicker they were also seen by the orcs and the watchers of Morgoth. Now, yeah, Morgoth, that was a good catch. You know, this is a big deal. This is kind of it's like one is a recap, uh, they were seen by Fingolfin. And the other is the typical foreboding that Tolkien does so well um, that they were seen by the bad guys. Uh, it's that's what's going to happen when you start the big fire. But, yeah, right. You, know, <laughs> you might want to think and, about and, that and twice. You, well, and you have to think. I mean, they, obviously, you know, Feanor wasn't thinking that there was anybody there that he had to worry about. Although he did go there to pursue his black foe. So yes, he did. It seems kind of strange, but now his black Feanor's, foe, it is said. Uh, speculated that he might not have feared Feanor, for he had, and this is an interesting line, as yet no proof of the swords of the Noldor. Yeah, this was interesting to me, uh, and I think you had an explanation. I mean, my question when I saw this was, wait, wasn't he in Amon when Feanor threatened to kill Fingolfin? Yeah, he would have been. Wasn't he the first one to talk to the Noldor about weapons? And so I I was a little... That's the thing right there. Yeah. What do you make of it? He taught them how to... Well, the first thing I thought of was that it was more about proof, not that they had them, because, you know, he taught them how to make them for the most part, uh, but proof that they knew how to use them other than pointy end towards the half-brother. You know, (laughs) he didn't know yet whether they were really competent in battle. Um, You know... Could be, yeah. (laughs) I mean, it's it's pretty self-explanatory not to use it. Not to use the hilt end and hold on to the sharp right. pointy part. <laughs> hold the blade and hold poke the blade. him with the pommel. <laughs> and use um, it like a club. <laughs> right, right. Oh, man. And wear a wear, glove. Wear very heavy gloves. <laughs> <laughs> or you'll end up like Mydras. Oh, more on that later. Wow, more on that. Wow, wow. That, uh, you went there. You went there, too, not me. Too, too soon? Was it too soon? Was <laughs> it <laughs> too soon? Um, no, Before it I, happened, I was, by definition, that's too soon. Right, exactly. <laughs> Good point, very good point. Yeah, so that's an interesting <laughs> so, idea. The idea that it's it it's proof yeah. in the sense that it's been uh, sort of that it's been tested. You exactly. know that they that they know how to use it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So you know, it, yeah. but and of course, it, it may be that he feared him a little, is what the text says. So you know, it, it makes sense. I, I'm sure that to Morgoth, uh, you know, the idea of these pesky little Noldor showing up, uh, especially just a few shipfuls of them. I mean, you know, the rest of them he left behind. That's not that's right. not good. Yeah. Uh, right. you know, and it is kind of ironic because now I'm going to go back to more Feanor bashing here. The guy wants the Teleri to join him because he wants numbers to swell his army to attack Morgoth. But then he and then goes and leaves two-thirds him. of the people behind. He goes and yeah. leaves the you know, and then burns the ship so they can't join him. This makes no sense. It, it really doesn't make much sense, does it? I mean— I need you to join me because I need a bigger army. I mean, I know I've got Fingolfin's people, and I know I have some of Finarfin's people. Yeah. Uh, you know, well, the, that point, the yeah, ones with the swords, people. by the way, because yeah. the, the Tellery were all just, you know, yeah. lightly armed. With this, those little slender bows. Slender bows, yeah. Um, but, you know, he wanted them, as like we talked about, I think, probably cannon fodder, to swell his numbers. And then, okay, well, he didn't get them, so he kills them. And then further up, he says, oh, apparently I don't need that many numbers anyway, because I'm just going to yeah. go with the few people that are loyal to me. 
and then everybody else can, you know, go pound sand or, you know, in, in a literal sense can, you know, go pound ice, I guess. But, um, <laughs> right. you know, it, it, so he doesn't really need their numbers. Well, and and as as we're going to see very soon in this chapter, he's he's not going to worry too much about going no. in with a small force. No, that's true. One you know. would be plenty fine. Right, right, exactly. You get the feeling that as he gets closer and closer to his goal, or at least he perceives he's closer and right. closer and closer to his goal, uh, he just kind of he just gets cockier and cockier, and it's just well, like, yeah. well, well, I made it this far. We'll get, I don't need them. There, there's know? a word we'll get to that that I think explains some of it, but we'll yeah. we'll get to that. Yeah. So we will read, though, starting that third paragraph and talk a little bit about, uh, about the, uh, the, the second battle in the Wars of Beleriand. So let's, uh, we'll read that here. Under the cold stars before the rising of the moon, the host of Feanor went up the long firth of Drengist that pierced the echoing hills of Ered Lomen and passed thus from the shores into the great land of Hithlum. And they came at length to the long lake of Mithrim and upon its northern shore made their encampment in the region that bore the same name. But the host of Morgoth, aroused by the tumult of Lamoth and the light of the burning at Loscar, came through the passes of Ered Wethrin, the Mountains of Shadow, and assailed Feanor on a sudden, before his camp was full wrought or put in defense. And there on the gray fields of Mithrim was fought the second battle in the wars of Beleriand. Dagor Nuin Giliath, it is named, the battle under stars, for the moon had not yet risen, and it is renowned in song. The Noldor, outnumbered and taken at unawares, were yet swiftly victorious, for the light of Amon was not yet dimmed in their eyes, and they were strong and swift, and deadly in anger, and their swords were long and terrible. Good stuff. Yeah, very cool. I mean, yeah, we'll we'll cover some more of that later, but, you know, the fact that they were swiftly victorious, uh, the light of Amon not yet dimmed in their face. uh, Yeah, I I love that. These are mighty, mighty elves. Oh yeah, I mean they are, you know, these are Calaquendi in their mm-hmm. prime, you know. They they are they are still fresh from Valinor. Um and they are strong. Yeah. Absolutely. I love I love that. That's really cool. I mean, we could we could say what we like about the choices that they've made, <laughs> but uh, but they definitely have strength, you know. <laughs> and we have we definitely have. I love the name Dagor Nuin Giliath. That's a yeah, it's a beautiful Isn't phrase. Yeah. I don't usually get to name the cool places. I usually let you take those and Yeah, I know. <laughs> In this yeah, case, uh, thing, it, but not it, place. it's a cool one. It it's is. a really cool one. So then, uh, you know, we'll we'll kind of skim the the rest of that paragraph. But you know, the uh, the orcs flee before them. Uh, they're hunted over the mountains of shadow into the great plain. Now, this is where it's really useful to look at um, Loader Project mm-hmm. because you can see um, the Firth of Drengist over the northwest of that of that map, and you can see that that goes into the land of Hithlum, mm-hmm. and then they go across that that valley. And kind of around a little bit of, uh, of a northern spur of the mountains. And then there's Lake Mithrim right there, fed right. by a river that comes from the arid Wethrin along with, uh, well, actually several rivers it looks like feed that. So they're camping there. Mm-hmm. And then they're attacked through the arid Wethrin, through passes of the arid Wethrin from, uh, you know, more from forces. Yeah, yeah from mm-hmm. Angban. So here they're hunted over the mountains and back into that great plain. So that's the uh, Anfaugleth or Ard Galen. And that lies north of Dorthonian there. So that's where the battle's taking place. And then um, previously... Arms... And this and this, and this um, and Falglith, or Ard Galen as it's called now, I mean, that is it's kind of Morgoth's front yard. Yeah. Um, it's, uh, I mean, yeah. you can't see... I know. Uh, Thang- I, I on this map. <laughs> I know. 
it's they're so rarely on any of the maps. Yeah, uh, I don't know why that is. Maybe because they're not. I don't think they're on the maps in the book. But um, no, they're not. But but yeah, I mean the you know so Thangorodrim, you know the three peaks are, are somewhere north of where we see Enfalgleth on the map. Right. And uh, and that's where you know that's where where Melkor and his or I'm sorry Morgoth I keep forgetting to call him Morgoth but <laughs> that's where Morgoth and his buddies are hanging out so the um, they're getting attacked we knew him as Melkor way back when that's right we you know we go way back Melkor yeah. and us back before you know Feanor became the mini Melkor um, right. <laughs> yes. so you know earlier Morgoth's uh, armies had gone south uh, through through that that pass there uh, into Syrian. Uh, and then all the way down, and we're we're beleaguering Kirdan in the Havens of the Phallus. So that's mm-hmm. all the way down there in that's West all the Belen, way down halfway, Let's more see. than halfway south on the map. So they're right. coming back up to come and aid the rest of the orcs, and they get slaughtered. Kelegorm, Feanor's son, having news of them, waylaid them with a part of the elven host. And coming down upon them out of the hills near Ithil Sirion, which you'll see uh, right there on the map to the east of Lake Mithrim, mm-hmm. uh, drove them into the Fen of Sarek. Evil indeed were the tidings that came at last to Angband, and Morgoth was dismayed. Ten days that battle lasted, and from it returned of all the hosts that he had prepared for the conquest of Beleriand, no more than a handful of leaves. <laughs> I love that. I love that. Beautiful language, isn't it? Yeah. Oh, a yeah. A handful of leaves. A handful of leaves. And this is the army that had gone through and basically made uh, Doriath a, a reclusive kingdom. You know, they had to kind of yeah, they, bring they their borders in. Yeah, right? Yeah, they were we, we saw that under in the, siege. Mm-hmm, right. Really a, you know, pretty tremendous force. Uh, and they get wiped out really without a whole lot of thought in 10 days by uh, by the Noldor. By the Noldor, yeah. So, you know, we're, uh, you know, guess we should they're be tough. thankful, right? There, there's <laughs> they're some, tough, there's they're some tough pretty, guys. You can see why later on... Um, uh, the Sindar think that they're there to save them. <laughs> yes. Yeah, exactly. Uh, but, uh, yeah, so- I mean, this is, I mean, again, you know, a, a fully armed, uh, illuminated <laughs> army out of the West. Yeah. yeah you that's know, true. These guys are, these guys are tough. And the Sindar Their swords like, were long and terrible. Oh, so there's the proof we, of the swords right there, man. Yeah. Yeah. But don't doubt their swords again. You get the next little bit. What happens with our old friend Feanor? <laughs> Well, so what happens here? So uh, we're just into this, the next paragraph there. Mm-hmm. For Feanor, in his wrath against the enemy, would not halt, but pressed on behind the remnant of the orcs, thinking so to come at Morgoth himself. And he laughed aloud as he wielded his sword, rejoicing that he had dared the wrath of the Valar and the evils of the road, that he might see the hour of his vengeance." Nothing did he know of Angband or the great strength of defense that Morgoth had so swiftly prepared. But even had he known, it would not have deterred him, for he was fey, consumed by the flame of his own wrath. Thus it was that he drew far ahead of the van of his host, and seeing this, the servants of Morgoth turned to bay, and there issued from Angband Balrogs to aid them. There, upon the confines of Dor Daedaloth, the land of Morgoth, Feanor was surrounded, with few friends about him. Long he fought on, and undismayed, though he was wrapped in fire and wounded with many wounds. But at the last he was smitten to the ground by Gothmog, lord of Balrogs, mm-hmm. whom Echthelion after slew in Gondolin. There he would have perished, had not his sons in that moment come up with force to his aid, and the Balrogs left him and departed to Angband. My goodness. 
Well, there's that word. Well, there's Feanor. Yeah, there's <laughs> Feanor, Feanor for doing you. what Feanor does. We're, yep, and Fey is the thing that comes to mind. You know, that yes. we, we talked about that before, that that sense of... Um, sort of madness of impending it, doom. Madness yeah. of, yeah, I, I know I'm going to die, so I mm-hmm. can do anything. Yeah. Uh, and it, you know, creates in this sense... Uh, a, a, a courage, but one might also say a, a foolishness. A foolish um, courage, yeah. yeah. Foolish. And a really, foolhardiness, yeah. You know, the thing that, the word that's not used here, but that came to mind in this action, the fact that he, especially if you look at the beginning of what you just read, he laughed aloud, rejoicing that he dared the wrath of the Valar. Mm-hmm. He has no clue. Nothing he, nothing did he know of Angband or this great defense. Right, right. This just made me think of Ophramod. Uh, oh, totally. Of Offermont. Yeah. yeah. I mean, this yeah. is overweening pride. This is a pride, mm-hmm. well, that will kill you, as we're about to see. Yeah. Uh, it yeah. is a pride that leads you to do incredibly foolish things. Uh, yeah. I mean, totally. I mean, the, he's already won the battle. Oh, yeah. You know, yeah. The, 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 the orcs are retreating. Yeah. And what is he doing? He's, I mean, he's, if you would just leave well enough alone. <laughs> Well, yeah. What's about to happen would not happen, but or no. just he wait, thinks, you know? I mean, just he, stick yeah, with the van, just, let the host come yeah, up, and, and yeah. if you think you can take him on, bring all your guys. Morgoth will bring all his guys. Going, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you get your guys, I'll get my guys. Yeah, we'll finish this thing. <laughs> the West Side Story, you know, a little. Right. But no, he thinks he's going to finish. He thinks he's going to win the whole war right, right here. He's you know, nuts. Yeah. He's been, he's been back on Middle Earth for, you know, I don't know. A week. Well, the battle was 10 days, days, you know. so, you know, a couple yeah, weeks. Right, 10 days, yeah. He thinks he's going to win the whole war right here. Crazy. Um, the, total over mode, uh, complete yeah. over mode. Um, I also like, there's there's a nice little image in here of uh, the flame of his own wrath. Oh, yeah, um, you're right. You know, of course, this is our spirit of fire. Mr. Yes, Fader it is. is. That's the literal um, meaning of his word. Right, right. Of his name, yeah. And uh, and here we oh, see yeah, fire sorry. is his... Uh, <laughs> It it is his word as well. It is his word. It is his name. It is his word. I'm... Yeah. Pay no um, attention we to s- me. <laughs> <laughs> but we see here that fire is his undoing now. You know this this flame of his wrath that that causes him to make this very foolish decision. Yeah. Um, and then literally the flame of the whips of the Balrogs. Well, I guess we don't see that these are whips here. But I'm, I'm thinking of since they're Balrogs, I'm oh, imagining yeah. whips, but. But yeah, definitely fire surrounding him from the Balrogs. Uh, you know, he's this this fire is his undoing. And we've talked so much mm-hmm. about how, uh, you know, fire is has always been symbolic of Feanor. It's it's just a neat yeah. uh, he's dying as he lives kind of thing here. That is true. He's going out the way he always was going to go out. Huh? Yep. Yep. In a blaze of glory. <laughs> Not quite glory, I would say, no. but definitely in a blaze. <laughs> wow. Well played, sir. Well played. So now his sons raised up their father and bore him back towards Mithrim. But as they drew near to Ithel Sirion and were upon the upward path to the pass over the mountains, Feanor bade them halt, for his wounds were mortal, and he knew that his hour was come. And looking out from the slopes of Eredwethrin with his last sight, he beheld far off the peaks of Thangorodrim, mightiest of the towers of Middle-earth, and he knew with the foreknowledge of death that no power of the Noldor would ever overthrow them. But he cursed the name of Morgoth thrice, and laid it upon his sons to hold to their oath and to avenge their father. Then he died, but he had neither burial nor tomb, for so fiery was his spirit that as it sped his body fell to ash, 
and was borne away like smoke, and his likeness has never again appeared in Arda. Neither has his spirit left the halls of Mandos. Thus ended the mightiest of the Noldor, of whose deeds came both their greatest renown and their most grievous woe. Wow. Just so heavy. Um, there, I mean, and there's another literal blaze as he yeah, actually yeah. dies. And his in, his body just disintegrates. The Disinter- s- just Yeah, just burns to ash. Oof. Wow. That's I mean, a powerful image. It really mm-hmm. is. It is. Um, there, there's, there's another image. Uh, I mean, this is the first image I, I can think of that's just this really beautifully graphic image of uh, of an elf dying in battle yeah, um yeah. and this idea of like really just you you can almost see his spirit leave his body because mm-hmm. as it, as it does his body just you know just disintegrates it's a uh, it's an amazing image and i got to say uh not a fan or a fan but this is a pretty good end as in go. yeah you know well, except, i mean he except for one thing you know he knows full well i mean here he knows knows with the foreknowledge of death that no power is going to ever overthrow but that doesn't stop oh, yeah. him from dooming his sons to try. No, that that is true. That is very very true. And uh, yeah, this sort of sort of laying it on his sons to hold to their oath, even yeah. though he knows that it's it's hopeless. It's just like you could you could tell them, you know yeah. what, guys, I was wrong. Yeah. Don't do this. Don't do this. Try to get uh, out of this. Talk to Manway. Yeah. Tell yeah. him you're sorry. Yeah. Yeah. But instead, he doubles down. He and, does as he always again, does doubling down on his pride and Man. you know no I, you f- basically follow me into my into my foolish yeah. death i'll keep i'll keep uh I'll, I'll keep the light on for you in the halls of mandos <laughs> i'll oh. be the light for you in the halls seriously of <laughs> i can just hear mandos now feanor we have to talk <laughs> perfect see you're there you, go. you got a good cadence with the effect. It's it's working for you. <laughs> I'll note that he also didn't tell his sons to avenge Finway's death, <laughs> which was really <laughs> right, supposedly right. the driving factor behind that all this. old but, argument. Yeah, you know, yeah. It, it just goes to show that Finway's death was just the excuse he needed to commit his atrocities. Uh, yeah. Just like the oath itself never mentioned anything of vengeance for Finway. It was just the Silmarils. But mm-hmm. um, what a just what yeah. a jerk thing to do to his sons is kind of the thing that comes to my mind. Like. Oh, wow, Dad! Totally. Thanks. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I know, and yeah, to 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 know in in the hour or the moment of your death, um, the mistake, <clears throat> excuse me, the mistake you've made, and and to just you know ask your sons to follow you down into it, crazy. I know that um, really that really is disappointing. But but, but I do I do think I, I like the death. Mm-hmm. Um, oh yeah, <laughs> I like the fact that he's dead. Well, there is that no, too. No, <laughs> but no, no the kidding. visual nature uh, of this death is yeah, the visual. You know, pretty he's, intense, he's pretty on, cool, he's undismayed. You know, he's. I mean, it's a, it is a valiant fight. He's fighting for something that is a horrible thing to fight for, right? But the but he fight is, fighting. is good. Yeah, and exactly. he's defeated by not just any Balrog, but Gothmog. No, Gothmog, you know, number one Balrog. You know, and I'm glad he didn't get killed. You know, right then and there. It's <laughs> it's good that he got the chance to. You know, to go from the battle all the way towards the mountains. I mean, this was, you know, yeah, probably a pretty lengthy journey, at least a day or two before uh, he realized, you know, I'm not going to make it. Um, well, it's especially it. good because he definitely saw the mountains and he definitely yeah. knew his mistake and he definitely had a chance to tell his sons not to do, <laughs> not to keep on going. And he still didn't. So, no, no, um, he's 
You know, I think Tolkien's very intentional with that. It, it is a drawn out death because Feanor gets so many chances and right. he's getting one more chance as he dies yep. to, to do the right thing, to um, to to make some amends for all the evil that he's done. And it right. is evil. Oh, yeah. Uh, and he doesn't, you know, and uh, and so we're left with, you know. His deeds uh, came with, uh, with his deeds came both yeah, their greatest, greatest renown right. and their most grievous woe. Well, and that kind of brings me to the sidebar we talked that we wanted to do, where we kind of talk about Feanor's greatest hits, right? We want to, yeah, kind of recap a little bit of the life of, of Feanor, at least of who Feanor is. Um, yeah, you know, there are some I, good things, right? There, there are, and I think it's worth talking about. I mean, again, we we get a lot of. I don't think we get too much flack. I think most people are, are on the same page no. with us in terms of Feanor. But, you know, we do get the comments get occasionally, some. you know. Yeah, we do get some. And, you know, it's not that we stay up late at night thinking about how horrible Feanor is. And it's like, oh, I hate him so much. You know, it's, it's not like that. <laughs> no, um, I save that for Tariel. <laughs> <laughs> right. Right. Who? I, 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 didn't, I didn't catch, uh, I didn't catch how to pronounce be named. that name. Because uh, how did... How did Tolkien pronounce that name? I don't know. Oh, sorry. Well sorry. done. Uh, <laughs> sorry. Um, but no, I mean, it's, uh, you know, it's not like we're trying to be judgmental or moralizing. No. It's just no. he's, we are trying to um, talk about the story, right. <laughs> the story that Tolkien wrote. And we're wrote. trying to be and, clear-headed. I mean, I think it's really yes. easy to see the might and power of Feanor and be so mm-hmm. um, just bedeviled by it that you you ignore what he did or or justify what he did because well you know he was angry he was hurt by the the killing of his father or you know he was just what yeah you got to look at it you know factually and and you got to look at the language tolkien uses and and i know you've you've got you've picked out some really good passages on um even for some of the letters but some Mm -hmm. of the language that tolkien uses which we'll get to in a bit but um Mm -hmm. but there is good there and i know we want to start with that Absolutely. I think it's worth talking about. I mean, I know we kind of mock it that, well, but he loved his dad. And, you know, <laughs> that's not uh, that's not insignificant. But there is a lot more than that in terms of his good. Mm-hmm. Right. I mean, obviously, yeah. he was skilled. He was the most skilled in hand. That's, you know, something to be said. That's he's, important. I mean, that's the mightiest. That's a big deal. Yeah. Um, you know, <laughs> he mean, gave us. Things, uh, go ahead. The Tanguar. The yeah. Tanguar, I mean, I'll just right. some of the things he invented. That, yeah. Um, it's easy to because he's so known for being a smith and sort of a you know a jewel craftsman. It's easy to forget that he was also yeah. a linguist. He wrote gave the us, language or the script, yeah, right. not the, the language script, itself, yeah. but the script, yeah. And knowing what language meant to Tolkien, obviously that was important. Um, that was very important, yeah. But uh, the uh, gems, of course, the the Silmarils <laughs> themselves, but but the Palantiri, you know, yeah, that's yeah. Uh, so there's some really good stuff he did, no doubt about it. There, there is definitely, and it, we talked about this a little bit um, over the last day or two. I mean, there's something. Uh, Promethean about Feanor. Yes. Uh, you know, the, the people who are familiar with the, the Greek myth of Prometheus, uh, you get the sense that, even though it's not really discussed in detail, you get the sense that Feanor's inventions really advanced uh, Noldor and culture and probably elven culture in general a lot. I mean, oh, he, yeah. is, Tengor he is. Alone. He's sort of. Yeah, exactly. I mean, he's sort of the, you know, the grandfather of uh, of a lot of the technology, a lot of the um, you know the, the advances in civilization, yeah. <clears throat> and that's very similar to um, you know the Greek myth of Prometheus, who yep. people aren't familiar. You know, he stole fire from the Greek gods so that he could give it to mankind, and you know, fire is sort of like the first technology, so that sort of jump started civilization. Right, right. Um, I mean, the big difference that I see between Feanor and Prometheus, though, is that <laughs> well, Prometheus stole fire to 
uh, to advance man, you know, right, to, right. to as a gift for mankind. Whereas Feanor's rebellion against, um, you know, the Valar standing in for the gods here right. was for his own revenge, for his right. own glory pride. and, um, yeah. yeah, and his own pride. And, and whereas, you know, Prometheus, uh, got punished for his actions and, um, and then mankind sort of benefited from it. Um, although there's more to it than that. I just don't need to go. Right, I don't want to get right. into it. Um, but you know, Feanor really brought the Noldor down exactly. from well, the whole, place yeah, of, from a paradise, elves. from an earthly yeah. paradise. Absolutely. You know? And so there, there are differences there, but there is, you know, that I've seen that word Promethean applied to Feanor before. And, yeah, um, that, that you know, is true. It, really is. it's, it, and that's just part of the complexity of the character. There's good there as of well course. as bad. Well, and that's, and that's how, you know, Tolkien, it's, that's intentional too. You know, it, it is, uh, you know, we talked about this before with all the great things that Feanor, you know, could have been, it's that greatness that makes his fall so tragic. Yeah. If you don't make yeah. him this important, this big, this this mighty, this skilled, yeah. this gifted, then his fall, the is, fall no is ideal is and doesn't influence yeah. that many people. Yeah. This is an immensely tragic fall because of yeah. all the potential that he had. And we, we've talked why, about this. That's why the Valar were, you know, mourning that no less than the loss of the trees. Right. Right. Yeah. And I think, again, that's I think Tolkien's trying to tell us something with that. If, yeah, if, definitely. You know, I think he is trying to tell us that, you know, all this this skill, this this art, um, this, you know, this subcreation and technology, it's not enough on its own. You yeah. have to have other attributes um, to to be a good person. Yeah, and, to, right. um, you know, and and as we see, as the legendarium goes on, you know, the, the people who um, are sort of the greatest heroes, uh, the ones who end up sort of saving the world, you know, saving, right. uh, you know, winning the great battles. They're not always the ones that are the most skilled, are they? They're not no, always. They're not. They're usually not the ones who follow no. Howley. And that's especially um, true when we get to the Lord of the Rings and you, you yeah. look at, you know, like hobbits saving the world. Saruman and Sauron sort of being the, you know, the Howley followers or well, once upon a time. They, yeah, followers. they both were. That's and, true. Uh, yeah. And then you see like, you know, people like, um, I don't know, Frodo, it was mm-hmm. his steadfastness, Sam with his hope yep. and courage, um, you know, and even Those characters are the characteristics like, you know, that you have to have yeah. and humility. Yeah. And Sam yeah. is a great reminder of that. I mean, Sam, there's there's no more humble character in the Lord of the Rings than that's Sam. That's true. That's true. Uh, and, and that's Gandalf's uh, com- well, yeah. And Gandalf's compassion, and yeah. you know, Faramir's virtue, and Eowyn's strength. I mean, it's mm. these Makes me are the... Get to the Lord of the Rings. Silmarillion, <laughs> Schmilmarillion. Let's get on. I know. I know. <laughs> but, no. but I think it's it's all part and parcel. Remember, it the is. the Legendarium is one whole story, and it's, there's a reason why Feanor is not presented as a hero because the traits that he embodies are important traits, but they are not to Tolkien, and I would agree, mm-hmm. heroic traits necessarily. That's right. And that's why we're starting with the Silmarillion. You know, I think mm-hmm. we talked about this at the very beginning before we even began recording the show, uh, that there's something important about getting through the Silmarillion and and seeing these these stories um, of how it's not supposed to be for the most part. Yeah. I mean, we, we will see a few that are doing it right. Uh, sure. You know, Tour yeah. comes to mind and, and obviously mm-hmm. uh, Arendelle, mm-hmm. um, you know, uh, I don't know, that Aaron, whatever his name is, that guy. <laughs> <laughs> What's the guy with the star. Is that again? The guy with the flashlight on his hat. Some dude in a boat. I don't know. Some, some dude in a boat. Yeah. Um, you know, so there are but some even guys the, that do it right. Yeah. But even the even the heroes uh, are are, do, are making a lot of mistakes. I mean, oh, Turin yeah. comes They're to flawed. mind. You know? Mm-hmm. Well, um, yeah. That's why I, I didn't put him on that, <laughs> on that right, list. Right. Exactly. Yeah. 
but he's um, but he's a, he's an example of one who is um, he's very valiant. He's a great warrior, and um, I I like Turin for a lot of reasons, but I also dislike Turin for a lot of reasons. Yeah, yeah, that's I, true. I can't wait more. to get to that story. That's going to be such. I a fun know, one. I know. But that's anyway. where we'll really get to talk about pride. But uh, yeah, yeah, you know. So for now, we've, we've talked about some of the good, right? The the the, the things that he's done. Then there's kind of some neutral things, not so much things that he's done, but qualities that we would look at. And, and we could easily say this is a good quality in the right amount or in the right proportion. Uh, you yeah. know, we talk about how eager he was, how steadfast he was, mm-hmm. you know, how dedicated and that's good to, to his a point, task. You know, right. Yeah. I mean, he, he uh, took them to extremes. And, and that's what and I think that's exactly what you mean when you say, you know, they're, they're sort of good in moderation. We need um, a Billy Joel song. Baby, why do you always go to extremes? Right. <laughs> Wow, sorry. Our music, our music wow. episode a few episodes back has got me thinking, you know. And then, of course, our I, last episode with New World, man. Um, I'm still, <laughs> I'm still doing. I'm res, trying to resist the urge to give every every episode a musical title. But I, I'm not sure that we should resist that urge anymore. We'll try. We'll see. What we can we go. With. We go through about five or six musical titles that we discard before we land on one. <laughs> that is true. Oh man, that's but, some good behind the scenes stuff. Oh, yeah, you're right. I mean, there's you know this eagerness, yeah. this uh, steadfastness. Those are good yeah. qualities Absolutely. when they're not taken to extremes. You know, even his his subtlety of mind is is That's a good true. thing if it's not taken to extremes. You know, subtlety is um, you know uh, good qualities to it. There's cleverness and you know intelligence yeah. and ability in, to in you know, discernment. And, yeah. yeah, and discernment. But, but well, then yeah, like when he uh, when he was able to figure out what Melkor wanted, you know, when he said yeah, that uh, right. the Silmarils won't be safe anywhere in in Valinor. And uh, right. you know he perceived his mind. Yeah, that's um, you know, right. That's a great quality if you if you use it properly. Yeah, but then we get some of the bad, right? There we is get some bad. Stubborn, uh, his desire to master the will of others, his hot temper, uh, his tendency to self isolate, self isolate, yeah. uh, greed, explicitly mm-hmm. mentioned a, n- a number of times. Pride, mm-hmm. of course, another thing that we see. Jealous, Jealousy. angry. You know, those are not character traits we look at and say, hero. No. So. No. Uh, and then, I mean, there's, you know, we, we, we kind of broke these out into a few different categories. And we've got, you know, some of the, the things he's done and some of the things he's said and done. I mean, he's just threatening Fingolfin, um, you know, going around talking about being enthralled him to the Valar, which we know is not true. People using that word. Um, <laughs> I, I do not think that word means what you think it means. No, it doesn't. Um, you know. Uh, what else? I mean, we've got well, um, yeah, is denying you know, Yavanna, denying Yavanna, just yep. rebelling. Uh, you know, he's told to stay in what for twelve years or whatever it was, and uh, you know, what is it like six months in elf years? Um, and right. you know, in, right. in Formanos, and so he comes back getting and, and intentionally getting his time out exactly. Yeah, um, but yeah. you know that that may have been his bark, but it's his bite uh, that really I think did him in, and and in this case, the the bite is worse than the bark. Uh, the oath itself. Mm-hmm. But by far the worst is the kinslaying. Um, yeah. You know, the the mass murder of Teleri and the attempted genocide of the Teleri because they simply yeah. wouldn't help him. Because they simply wouldn't help him, wouldn't give him their boats. Right, which their yeah. boats, which right. let's just remind you, are their equivalent of the Silmarils. They can only make them once. Right. And, you know, right. uh, the abandonment of his kin. Uh, you know, mm-hmm. I'm your king. Oh, by the way, I'm leaving you in this, you know, frozen wasteland. Have fun. Yeah. Uh, and then the and burning, then burning the, ships, the ships, just which is yeah. just like we talked about before, this big giant middle finger to to Fingolfin. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, 
Yeah. And I think those are the things, the, the bite, as, yeah. as you called it, those are the things that really push well, him over that edge. For that. I think that was actually, uh, that was your concept, the bark and the bite. Uh, yeah, well, but uh, <laughs> I don't even remember. Um, but uh, it's been a long couple of days for me, that's all I'll say. <laughs> but um, yeah, it's... Um, those are the things that really push him over the edge, you know, they really and, are. and it's like that, that's the stuff that's, you know, he is truly a villain yeah. for those things. Well, it was only um, after the kin slaying that the prophecy yeah. of the North came in and that was when, yeah, okay, you're done. True. You and your sons can never come back yeah. under any yeah. set of circumstances. I mean, really doomed. even, even the oath could have been bark if he hadn't doubled yeah. down and, you know, kind of held everybody to just like, you're right. Following him into madness, you know? Yeah, that's true. But, You're absolutely um, right, but once he, once he confirmed it by slaying the Teleri, it it's all over. At that point, yeah, you know, you've you've crossed a line that can't be crossed, and uh, yeah. you know, you've you've become a villain. And, you know, evil is as evil does. To paraphrase Forrest Gump, um, you know, <laughs> evil is as evil does. Uh, not quite sure he was thinking about Feyenoord, but why not? <laughs> no, well, <laughs> my mama wants. But yeah, to, it's yeah, it's it's true. It's that's that's what. That's where he goes too far. And yeah. so, yeah, he started out great. He did he some did. wonderful things. There would Tremendous be things. no writing without him. There would be no, no. Palantiri without him. There'd be so many wonderful things. The that elven would not cell phones, you know. <laughs> right. <laughs> he needs yeah, to work Skype. on the form factor a little bit. They don't fit Skype. in the pocket very well. No, well, you know, elves where they don't they don't have pockets yet. They have these big bag purses. So you, you just <laughs> the ball put a crystal ball fine. in your bag and just kind of walk around. It's like a bowling ball. <laughs> well, without the, I don't know. Maybe it did. Maybe they did have little <laughs> holes to hold on to it. <laughs> I don't know. No. Maybe he invented some sort of. Well, I don't know. <laughs> Carrying, you know, he sells a line of, magic, of accessories. Some sort of bag of holding or something like that. The bag of holding plus one. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, you know, right. I, all of this got me to thinking is what did Tolkien really think of Feanor, right? I mean, how how would he yeah. have addressed him in a kind of in a third person, you know, not as the narrator of a story? And but, I'm so glad that you're bringing this in. Yeah, I, you know. I, because I, it's – this is definitive as far as I'm concerned. You I know, agree. We can, we can have whatever opinion we want on Feanor. People can disagree with us because we're just readers just like anybody we're else. We're just two guys <laughs> with <laughs> microphones – and, you know, yeah. enough craziness to say, let's share our thoughts with people. But yeah, uh, Alan, Tolkien, he's, he's just this guy, you know, yeah, he's just this guy. Zephod's just this guy, you know. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> but so anyway, so, yeah. So let's go to Tolkien's own words. about yes. This is from a letter to Waldman, uh, Milton Waldman. And it's the one that is actually in everybody's copy of the Silmarillion, the unless preface, you're only yeah. reading a first edition. Uh, because yep. it, it was it's reproduced in every edition after that. It was written in 51, and, and he was and, trying to summarize the entire volume. And this is, by the way, I'll just point out, this is on yeah. the, the passage that we're looking at here is on uh, Roman numeral 16 of the oh, Silmarillion. Oh, that's right. Thank you for that. So of, you of our can, copy of the... Uh, yeah, of, uh, if you're looking at the edition we're looking at, the yeah. standard pagination, 16. Yeah. Uh, Roman numeral 16. And everybody can read along so you can see exactly what his words were. <laughs> everybody. Take a look. <laughs> open your books to page XVI. Um, not that we're trying to prove a point. No, of course we're not. To prove a point. But we are. Um, so he's summarizing the entire volume. This whole letter really is summarizing the entire story, which is why we told you don't read it unless you've read the book right. before, because it's the whole thing is a spoiler. And that warning still stands. It does you know, still read, stand. Read this part. Uh, but read this, and you get a, a little bit of a take on really what Tolkien thinks. He says, 
But the chief artificer of the elves, Feanor, had imprisoned the light of Valinor in the three supreme jewels, the Silmarilli, before the trees were sullied or slain. This light thus lived thereafter only in these gems. The fall of the elves comes about through the possessive attitude of Feanor and his seven sons to these gems. They're captured by the enemy, set in his iron crown and guarded in his impenetrable stronghold. The sons of Feanor take a terrible and blasphemous oath of enmity and vengeance against all or any, even of the gods, who dares to claim any part or right in the Silmarilli. They pervert the greater part of their kindred, who rebel against the gods and depart from paradise, and go to make hopeless war upon the enemy. The first fruit of their fall is war in paradise, the slaying of elves by elves. And this, and their evil oath, dogs all their later heroism, generating treacheries and undoing all victories. So, yeah. I I don't think it gets any more definitive than no. that. I mean, if you're if you're thinking, well, well, they just retold the story. Yeah, we we know that. Look Pay at attention the words to the uses. words. Im- even uses. even the creation of the Silmarils imprisoned yeah. the light of Valinor. The yeah. fall yeah. of the elves comes through comes about through the possessive attitude. Possessive attitude. The this oath is a terrible and blasphemous terrible oath. and blasphemous oath. And what do they do? They don't convince the other Noldor. They pervert <laughs> no, the greater pervert part of them. their kindred. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> hopeless they war. They don't go to get revenge. They go to hopeless war. Mm-hmm. And yeah. the slaying of elves by elves. It's not, you know, well, the unfortunate, uh, you know, but necessary result of their right, failure right. to help. It's just making uh, the hard choices. Yeah, yeah no, exactly. He's just that's what a leader does, man. He makes hard <laughs> right. calls. No, it's it's slaying. It, it's an mm-hmm. evil oath. Yeah, the oath is no described as evil. It's described no as terrible, blasphemous, and evil. So there's yeah. no, you know. <laughs> I think he's a villain, Alan. I think he is. And you'll notice that when Tolkien talks about the oath, he doesn't mention anything about Fenway. <laughs> just saying well Feanor didn't so why should he right I agree exactly. yeah. so yeah. yeah I mean it's hard to swallow you know if you if you like Feanor and I have to say I think we talked about this before it took me two or three readings before I realized what a bad guy he was yeah. so you know I've got to give some sympathy to the folks who have read this and said man I really you know I don't dislike Feanor that much he's, he's you know okay yeah he made some mistakes no 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 <laughs> He didn't make some no, mistakes. He didn't make. He some tried to mistakes. wipe out an entire people group. Yeah, we call people like that these days tyrants. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Exactly. We take them to uh, you know the the to, to court and we could you know try them yeah. for war crimes. Yeah, uh, an unjust. Know. He started an unjust war. Yeah. You know, and uh, well, the war on more on Melkor would have been a just war, but certainly the war on the Teleri was. The war on the Teleri was not. Yeah. Um, but, the war on Melkor is just a foolish war. Well, it's true. hopeless. But I don't know. I, I guess I don't feel like waging war to recover your your jewels is really a, a good no. reason to wage a war. Well, especially when you are, you know, you're living with the gods in paradise and yeah. your assumption, and that's what this was, remember, it was his assumption that they weren't going to do anything about it. Right. Well, we don't right. we find out later that they were not idle, as he said in his folly. Right. They were able to, they were communicating quietly, silently, because they could. So, yeah. You know, have faith like the Teleri did. The Teleri had faith that the Valar would get things done, that they would make it better, and that they right. would fix this. Thanor yeah. didn't have that faith. Yeah, just put a little faith, a little Estel, a little hope. There you go, a little hope, absolutely. Uh, a, a little, uh, a little. Um, I can't remember how Estel is defined, but it's, it's hope that's founded on something. Exactly. As to just blind hope. Exactly. Um, but, you know, it. 
I guess my message to um, to people who who are coming to this new and who do see things they like about Feanor, uh, that's fine. There yeah. is a lot to like in there Feanor, yeah. but it's a cautionary tale. You know, see the tragedy for what it is. This is a horrible tragedy. This is a, a this is a person who could have been great, um, and who started would out have been great the greatest person ever lived. Would have been the greatest person who ever lived. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and he's a wonderfully written character. He's very complex. Rich. He's very believable. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. he's relatable, I think in ways that terrify me sometimes. Um, yeah. well, he's more human his, really in, in his is, weaknesses yeah. than anybody yeah. else had been so far in the story. Yeah. And, and I don't think that you and I could get this passionate about, um, I don't know, bashing Morgoth or something. Cause Morgoth is kind of more of a one dimensional villain. Yeah. Um, yeah. not, not entirely, but you know, he's more like evil embodied. Right. Um, there's, and there's uh, no identification with or sympathy right. because of, yeah. Right. And I think part of why um, you and I get so passionate about Feanor is because it is such a tragedy. He is exactly um, there. There was so much greatness there that yeah. is just wasted. So it's like Manor, um, you know, the, the, he just he weeps for what could have been. Yeah. And yeah. And, you know, he's the only one who might in some measure, you know, understand or imagine what uh, what could have been. Yeah. Yeah. So, again, it's it's not out of a desire to try and, you know, sit here on our, you know, or high horse or something and just, you know, and judge Feanor. Oh, you have it's a high just... horse too? <laughs> oh, yeah. oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. You should have seen the stand, oh. the mic stand I had to get so I could sit on my high horse. <laughs> really tall mic stand. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, but it's it's really just about, you know, uh, reading the book closely and yeah. Um, yeah. and appreciating the tragedy for what it is and the, and the cautionary tale. And the there. warning. Yeah, that's absolutely right. There, but for the grace of Iluvatar, go I. Mm-hmm. Um, you know. So, and that's why we don't really feel that way about Melkor because you never, you never think to myself, well, that that could be me, right? <laughs> you know? Exactly. Uh, but with Feanor, you could say, you know, look, I, I could, somebody killed my dad and took my most precious things, I'd get pretty ticked too. Oh, but yeah. I wouldn't go kill my neighbor and wipe out his family because they wouldn't lend me their car. <laughs> you know, <Right. laughs> that's exactly. he's away. Give me your keys. No, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to kill you all. I'm going to kill you. That's, that's, that's exactly the analogy we needed to put it into perspective. It really is, because that could have been us. Yeah. But, um, so what happened after right. his death? Uh, you know, we get his spirit sp- speeds away, born away like smoke, and, and the text only tells us that his likeness has never again appeared in Arda, and neither mm-hmm. has his spirit left the halls of Mandos. But there's something to that, isn't there? The fact oh, that yeah. his spirit I mean, hasn't left the halls of Mandos is not a good thing. Yeah, I mean, um, we, we've talked about the judgment uh, yeah. inherent in, in leaving Mandos. You know, yeah. it, it's called the Halls of Waiting because you're allowed to, you're expected to leave uh, yeah. a, after a certain time. Um, and he doesn't. Yeah, he doesn't. <laughs> never. He, he, in not one never. Of the, not, well, not, not ever, during, ever, but yeah, there is. Not, not during the, the life of Arda. Exactly. And in, and that's what we we're going to come to with this was in the history of Middle Earth. And I believe this is in The Lost Road, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Um, it, is. it is said that he will eventually be released at the end of the world. This is after the last battle, the Dagor Dagorath, mm-hmm. uh, when the world is broken and then remade. So this is art is gone and remade. He's yep. rebodied for one purpose and one purpose only. Do you know what that purpose is? Uh, I do. Uh, <laughs> well, let's tell our listeners. <laughs> he gets to come back into his body to do one thing. Take the Silmarils and bear them to Yavanna. Hand it back to Yvonne. Yep. <laughs> Which is exactly yeah. what he should have been willing what to do. What he should have done. Place. Well, what he should have been willing to do. Yeah, right. He didn't have them yeah. with him. But, uh, True. you know, she would break them, rekindle the trees. Uh, the pylori would be leveled so the light would go all over the world. 
which is pretty cool. But hey, that's awesome. Yeah, you know, oh, fi- finally that that pure light would be shared with with exactly. everyone, and not not kept behind the pillory. And sometime in 2041, we might get to the history of Middle Earth. <laughs> um, but yeah, I love that. That's the one thing he's going to get to come back and do. Yeah, and, uh, that's. that's you compare that to something like uh, this is actually in a different volume. I think it. Well, no, it's actually in the Silmarillion. Mm-hmm. It's in the, the published Silmarillion where we talk about like uh, it's said that the dwarves might actually be able to help yes, rebuild Arda. They will. Uh, Feanor doesn't get that honor. His no. only purpose is. You got you get one make job. Make it right. One make job. it right. <laughs> you got one job, man. Make it right. This, I got this one job on this to... stupid ship. <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> it's stupid, but I'm going to do it. Do it. Oh man. Um, oh, yeah. Galaxy Quest reference. That was. I know. I don't. We're not going to get those too too often. No. And and if anybody's interested, so this is in the Lost Road um, until we this... until we start discussing the dwarves and the fact that they're miners. They're miners, not miners. <laughs> Oh, man. Oh, by Grapthar's hammer, that was a lame line, but uh, Alan, I had to do that. Alan okay. Rickman. We, <laughs> the great, the late, great Alan Rickman. Yeah. Uh, so this is in, uh, just in, in case anybody's looking for it, uh, <laughs> this is in the uh, early version of the Quintus Silmarillion yes. that's in Lost Road. So if you've, exactly. if you've got the Lost Road volume, look for this section called simply uh, Quintus Silmarillion, Roman numeral six, Quintus Silmarillion. Thank you for um, that. And it's in there towards I the end. I jot that down and I, I meant to. I can't give you a page number because I've got a screwy edition with weird pagination but yeah i'll i'll look that up maybe i'll I'll jot that uh, down on the show notes if i can remember okay. but i love this because what is he being forced to do be humble mm-hmm. the one thing he could never figure out how to do in life he's gonna have to do here yeah you know whether that's willing or not i don't know but he's gonna do it it's so. a it's a chance to correct that error of the past exactly um, i'd like to think that it is willing at that point that by that point he's learned humility He's learned that he doesn't have the right to the Silmarils, that the light in them is not his own, and mm-hmm. that he gives them back. to. I, I like to think that because, I, you know, one of the things I loved about diving into the history of Middle Earth was seeing both Finway and Muriel kind of redeem themselves, right? We talked about that. Yeah. yeah. I'd, I'd love to see that happen here. I, I don't know, but we'll see. I like, I, I'm with you. I like to think it does. And, um, I mean, I think he, um, he got many chances at redemption. I like to think that yep. at the end he will finally take one. Yeah. I agree. And do it, do the right thing. That would be nice. That would be nice to see Fanor <laughs> finally do the right thing. Yes, exactly. So now we move on from that really cool, all that drama, all that, you know, angst about Fanor. Uh, we get back to, uh, you know, what's happening here uh, after the death of Fanor. We get to meet uh, some of the Grey Elves uh, mm-hmm. and they get yep. to, to talk with the Noldor. But what <laughs> happens when they start to talk? It's not easy at first. No. Because their speeches have been sundered. Now, this is important, yeah. isn't it? This is this, There's some token linguist stuff going on. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And uh, I think it's something that uh, Dr. Andrew Higgins hit on in our episode mm-hmm. a few weeks ago when we talked about a secret vice. Yeah. Um, this this idea of the development of the of the languages over time. And I mean, within the world itself. Not, right. Uh, right. You know, obviously, Tolkien was continually re- retooling them behind the scenes. But within the world itself, the languages developed because that's what languages do. Um, and, uh, I'll actually refer people to the lost road again, because there's a really great, um, piece in there called the Lamas, um, or the account of tongues that talks about, um, just sort of the development and the sundering of all the different Elvish languages. And basically what happened was every time the elves 
um, split into, you know, like say the, the first split between the Eldar and the Avari. Right. And then later on when the Eldar split, you know, the, the Nandor stayed east of the Misty Mountains. Right. Um, every time they kind of, they kind of broke off, um, that, that splinter group would develop their own language, not, not mm-hmm. develop, but their, the language would change over time exactly. so that as the, as the years, yeah, exactly. Structures different, and... just slightly different sounds, uh, slightly mm-hmm. different, you know, um, what started as the same consonant might change a little bit. They might change a vowel here and there. And so over time, because again, remember we've, we've had many thousands of years oh, yeah, since yeah. all these sunderings over time, those languages, years. yeah, over time, those languages become unintelligible to one another. Mm-hmm. And, um, and there's a lot of them, too. I mean, you know, we, we tend to think of only two languages, Quenya and Sindarin. But if you look at the Lamas, there's, oh yeah, depending on how you choose to count, somewhere between like six and 12 different languages. Yeah, I was going to um, say, is the number that comes to mind. There's a lot. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, you know, Tolkien put that in there because that really happened in, in real, you know, yeah, in real, lingu- is, lang- real is, languages. Uh, yeah. You yeah. know, um, that's just what languages do. That's why, you know, Latin became... You know, Italian and Spanish and French. You know, it's just the true natural changes. Um, so that's exactly what's going on here. Is these these people have been sundered for a long time. They meet up again, and at first they can't really understand each other. Um, and I like the fact that he brings in the fact that he he reminds us that it's Calaquendi and Moraquendi. Yeah. Because one of one of the, the things light. we see is that the light actually has an effect on the language. Yes, it does. Just, Fascinating, um, and I think it just has to do with sort of the degree of enlightenment and stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, the proximity and so, of the Valar. Yeah. Right, right, exactly. And, and we even see in the Lamas that you know the, the Vanyar who spent all their time on Tiniquidil, their language changed differently from the Noldor and the Teleri. But mm-hmm. um, so yeah, it's just they they really can't understand each other because you've got elves of the light and these gray elves, these Moraquendi, and they just can't understand each other at first. Um, at first, but, but they do eventually time, get to. Yeah, they over, over time, time they, they do because they get some intelligence from them, don't they? They learn right. about Thingol. They, they learn they about do. the yeah. the girdle of Melian, um, yeah. and then eventually Thingol learns about them, doesn't he? Word gets yeah. to him, um, and the Balerdi, all these elves in Balerdi are, are excited because the Noldor are back, and in fact, they even believed that they came as emissaries of the Valar. <laughs> yeah. It's unfortunate. I mean, it's it it is yeah. Um, it's again we talked about it. it's you know it's it's an understandable you know sure. misconception. Yeah, these guys come fully armed out of the west, you know, and then you're, kill a whole you bunch must of be here to help us. Them. Oh wait, you're here yeah. to take our lands, <laughs> right? Exactly. <laughs> oh man, yeah. but but then we get oh man we get the even in the hour of the death of Feanor, an embassy came to his sons from Morgoth. Mm-hmm. Acknowledging defeat and offering terms, even to the surrender of a Silmaril. Do you believe him? No, of course. Not. No. <laughs> well, yeah, neither did Mytheros. Neither did they. Yeah, exactly. yeah. You can't con a con man, right? That's right. <laughs> and that's um, and that's the amazing thing is that you know Mytheros knew that that Morgoth's people weren't oh, yeah, telling the yeah. truth, but he still you know he he was going to feign to treat with him. He was going to lie too. I mean, it's just like you, can't you know, play the game. You, you, this is a lesson. Let this be a lesson. Don't play yeah. a game like this with them, somebody who does it better than you. <laughs> right. Exactly. You will lose. But, but wouldn't dad be proud? Wouldn't, wouldn't dad be proud of that? That overmode there. <laughs> yes, I think he would. He'd ah, there. That, that's exactly what I'd have done. Uh, except yeah. I would have brought even more force because you know that's just what I would do. Yeah. Um. So yeah, my, my gets captured. 
mm-hmm. each, each embassy comes with greater force, but Morgoth sent the more. Oh, and there were Balrogs. Uh, <laughs> that that pretty much that's there's the Trump and card there right there. Spades. And Trump there is, and there were Balrogs. <laughs> yep. Uh, that came on foot. I'll just note that they came on foot. <laughs> good, good point. Good point. <laughs> well played. <laughs> you know, because it would have been so much more effective had they come from the air. Um, but Mithros was ambushed. Uh, mm-hmm. Everybody, everybody with him was killed. But he was taken alive. What happened to him? Right. They brought him to Thangorodrim yeah. and chained him to a great big rock high up in the sky. Well, now you and, mentioned when you were talking about Prometheus earlier. This this was, I think, what triggered it for you, wasn't it? It was, yeah, uh, because if people are familiar with the Prometheus myth, actually, uh, Prometheus was punished for stealing fire, uh, and his punishment was to be chained to a mountain. Pretty much just like this, actually. The wow. only difference being that he had an eagle come every day and eat his liver. <laughs> with but... lava beans and a nice Chianti? <laughs> I mean, what? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly, oh, yeah. That's man. What... That's nasty. Isn't that where, that's where Elector got the idea, wasn't it? Like, I th- probably. <laughs> can't, do, can't do an Anthony Hopkins voice, but uh, no, but I'm I would. Not gonna, right no. <laughs> but uh, but what I loved about this was, yeah, that reminded me of the the Prometheus myth, and then I sort of like extended it back to Feanor, and that's what what hit me is that Feanor committed the Promethean crime, uh, you know, the the pride and the right. um, and the all that stuff against the, gods. the rebellion against the gods, but Mithros is the one who gets the punishment for it. The Promethean um, time. The Promethean time, yeah. Oh, so man. it's uh it's that ain't a really <laughs> No, it's not. And it's I think Tolkien is very intentionally using the language of myth to show us, you know, what what we know is going on, which is that the son is being punished for the sins of his father. Hmm. Um and that's exactly what's you know, and it's He's being punished for well, taking his part own, in the sins of his father. Yeah, exactly. You know, he, he's, he's he in a, took he's a the self same oath, right? I mean, isn't that what yeah. the, his seventh son oh, yeah. straightway leapt to his side and for took sure. the, the self same oath? If I remember the line for sure. Time. And I and I'm and I yeah. I don't mean I don't mean that he's innocent, um, no. but he's he's taken part in the sins of his father, and yeah. that's why he gets you know he gets this sort of Promethean punishment. Yeah. Um, it's fascinating to me. Minus the liver you know, part, thankfully. I, minus the liver that, part. That just kind of, oh. That's the yeah. part Tolkien spared us, thankfully. Thankfully. It's the, di- the differences that make the story great. <laughs> <laughs> yes, so. it is. Oh, goodness. So. Well, now we get a really cool arrival of Fingolfin. Um, yeah. I'm going to actually read this. We're going to read the text here. We're a little bit less to talk about because the text itself is so amazing. Now rumor came to the camp in Hithlam of the march of Fingolfin and those that followed him, who had crossed the grinding ice, and all the world lay then in wonder at the coming of the moon. But as the host of Fingolfin marched into Mithrim, the sun rose, flaming in the west, and Fingolfin unfurled his blue and silver banners and blew his horns, and flowers sprang beneath his marching feet, and the ages of the stars were ended. Just an aside, there's that cool um, syntax we've talked about before, that and Fingolfin, and blew his horns, and flowers, and the ages. That that sort of um, what? Oh yeah, para, um, paratactic what syntax or something like that. Para- yeah, I think so. Yeah, I, I'm getting a little word nerdy there, but it's, you know this this. But that's like the short. It's like the short phrasing, right? With the, the ands. Short yeah, phrases. It's, it, yeah, it really. But it it there's something very powerful and symbolic, and um, it, yeah. it wraps up a whole lot in just a few words. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, but now back to it feels the very rhythmic too. It, it does. It, it feels, it, it is. It feels it's musical, kind of like a chant. Almost. Exactly. Yeah. We get a lot of that. There's a lot of that in battle scenes. Uh, we'll see lots of examples of that. But that may yeah. be the first yeah. moment that I, I kind of caught that. At the uprising of the Great Light, the servants of Morgoth fled into Angband, and Fingolfin passed unopposed through the fastness of Dordaedaloth while his foes hid beneath the earth. Then the elves smote upon the gates of Angband, and the challenge of their trumpets shook the towers of Thangorodrim, and Mithros heard them amid his torment and cried aloud, but his voice was lost in the echoes of the stone. But Fingolfin, being of other temper than Feanor, and wary of the wiles of Morgoth, withdrew from Dordaedaloth and turned back towards Mithrim, for he had heard tidings that there he should find the sons of Feanor, and he desired also to have the shield of the Mountains of Shadow while his people rested and grew strong. For he had seen the strength of Angband, and thought not that it would fall to the sound of trumpets only. Therefore, coming at length to Hithlam, he made his first camp and dwelling by the northern shores of Lake Mithrim. No love was there in the hearts of those that followed Fingolfin for the house of Feanor, for the agony of those that endured the crossing of the ice had been great, and Fingolfin held the sons the accomplices of their father. Then there was peril of strife between the hosts, but grievous as were their losses upon the road, the people of Fingolfin and of Finrod, son of Finarfin, were still more numerous than the followers of Feanor, and these now withdrew before them, and removed their dwelling to the southern shore, and the lake lay between them. Many of Feanor's people indeed repented of the burning at Lascar, and were filled with amazement at the valor that had brought the friends whom they had abandoned over the ice of the north, and they would have welcomed them, but they dared not for shame. Hmm. Just a... Wow. A lot of powerful imagery. Very. And a very, very tense moment. Yeah. Yeah. Very awkward family yeah. reunion. Is, <laughs> I mean, you know... <laughs> yeah. Well, Ooh, yeah. there's they're not playing volleyball on the beach today. No, no, not at all. I mean, there's kind of a there's a real current of like morning after regret here, you know, yeah, isn't there? Like, yeah. you know, we and I think even it is in a couple of chapters where it might be Angrod uh, who describes, uh, you know, the fact that they were sort of uh, besotted with wine at Feanor's words. He he uses this, you know, sort of mm-hmm. imagery of being drunk to describe the effect that Feanor's words had on the Noldor. Yeah. And it's kind of like what this feels like. It's like they've they've woken up out of like this stupor. They had no idea what they were doing at the <laughs> yeah, time. Uh, what did we just do? And they're do? like, what did we do last night, what man? Did, seriously. Dude, did you punch your boss? Like, you know, it's one of those kind of things. <laughs> you were wearing a lampshade and dancing on the table. <laughs> right, what right. What in the exactly. world were you thinking? Yeah. Yeah, and oh, it's that, that's kind of what I get from this. It's like, a good they thing they didn't just... have Instagram back in those days. Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this is me killing some Tellery. I know, Hashtag seriously. <laughs> Hashtag Kinsley. Oh man. <laughs> Hashtag oh, help man. me next time. Help. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, man. That's okay, Mandos, now? There you go. Yeah. <laughs> Mandos has his own hashtag, though. Prophecy. <laughs> yeah. So I guess a prophecy of the North, or or really, as we decided, it... prophecy oh. of the North. That's what I was looking for. Thank you very much. Very very good. Um, I do love that. Uh, going back a few sentences, that mm-hmm. uh, that you know that Fingolfin 
where is it here? Um, you know, Fingolfin saw the strength of Angband and mm-hmm. thought not that it would fall to the sound of trumpets only. <laughs> he knew, he knew that you know he he needed to to kind of gather his strength. Yeah, um, and that's why he went to Mithram. You know, to get that just reminded get, me get, though of of Jericho, of the biblical story of mm-hmm. Jericho that where they wandered around with the trumpets for you know they blew trumpets for seven days and. And then the walls came tumbling down, right? Oh, that's right. That well, that's a biblical story. Even I know. Yeah, that's yeah. true. And I, I, I don't think that, that visual yeah. was was an accident on Tolkien's part. I think we were. Oh, I'm sure we were to see that this is something that's not going to come down. You know, even with supernatural yeah. help. <laughs> at this right, point, right? That's true. That's um, very. That's a very good point. Yeah. And and I think that it's. I, I like that Fingolfin is actually you know, playing the part of the wise general. You know, the wise commander here. Mm-hmm. Um, exactly the kind of. Uh, command leadership that Feanor did not display, you know, um, of wanting to take a break. Um, and you know, we'll deal with this later. Yeah. Some good stuff. Um, but of course they ended up waiting too long, didn't they? Because you know, they're, they're divided. They they don't have, this is the time where if they could have bound, you know, come together, the orcs are, are weak. They're terrified of the sun. Uh, you know, they could come and get something done, but, uh, you know, Morgoth's laughing. He's like, yeah. you idiots. Yeah. You can't even get together. You can't. No, I've got nothing to worry about from you. Um, right. Yeah. Man, then talk about him. Very amazing happens. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, it's, you know, I realize now I accidentally took your last passage. So I'm going to have you take this one, if you wouldn't mind. Uh, I will do uh, it. Sure. I can do that. Um. <laughs> well, I mean, I took yours and it's just <laughs> I'll, the least I'll do I can the, do. All right, well, I can, I'll do the whole thing then. Um, then Fingon the Valiant, son of Fingolfin, resolved to heal the feud that divided the Noldor before their enemy should be ready for war. And the earth trembled in the Northlands with a thunder of the forges of Morgoth underground. Long before, in the bliss of Valinor, before Melkor was unchained or lies came between them, Fingon had been close in friendship with Maedros. And though he knew not yet that Maedros had not forgotten him at the burning of the ships, Hmm. The thought of their ancient friendship stung his heart. Therefore he dared a deed which is justly renowned among the feats of the princes of the Noldor. Alone, and without the counsel of any, he set forth in search of Maedros, and aided by the very darkness that Morgoth had made, he came unseen into the fastness of his foes. High upon the shoulders of Thangorodrim he climbed, and looked in despair upon the desolation of the land, but no passage or crevice could he find through which he might come within Morgoth's stronghold. Wow. Then in defiance of the orcs, who cowered still in the dark vaults beneath the earth, he took his harp and sang a song of Valinor that the Noldor made of old, before strife was born among the sons of Finwë, And his voice rang in the mournful hollows that had never heard before aught save cries of fear and woe. Hmm. Thus Fingon found what he sought, for suddenly above him, far and faint, his song was taken up, and a voice answering called to him. Mithros it was that sang amid his torment. But Fingon climbed to the foot of the precipice where his kinsman hung, and then could go no further. And he wept when he saw the cruel device of Morgoth. Mithros, therefore, being in anguish without hope, begged Fingon to shoot him with his bow. And Fingon strung an arrow and bent his bow. And seeing no better hope, he cried to Manwë, saying, O king, to whom all birds are dear, speed now this feathered shaft, and recall some pity for the Noldor in their need. 
Let's uh, let's take a break there and discuss sure. um, what we've gone through because that's that is a powerful, powerful passage. Yeah, I'm not. Um, I'm not sure that you made the right trade there. Actually, I didn't intend to. I didn't. I, I, I realized only after I'd finished the the passage before that I'd read. I don't know why I mark you in a color that's usually mine, but um, and, you know, I couldn't I was, just read I, the next passage. But you know, I wasn't. I wasn't going to stop you. It's like, yeah, it's fine. We'll figure it out. Oh, later. It's, it's yeah, exactly. I'm really, it, it's a book. We read it. Exactly. Um, but yeah, I, there's so much there. I wanted to. I would have broken if I'd been reading it. I think there's enough to talk about starting mm-hmm. in there. I, the more I read this, the more moved I am by what Fingon does. The, mm-hmm. the sentence that really ties this all together is that, uh, and though he knew not yet that mm-hmm. Mithras had not forgotten him at the burning of the ships, the right. thought of their ancient friendship stung his heart. So let's let's remind everybody yeah. what that's talking about there. So when when Feanor and Mithros and everyone they they got across, right? Uh, it was Mithros who said, "So who shall we send for?" Fingon the Valiant, right? Fin- and it was Fingon the Valiant that yeah. he said first, right? None, um, and then that's when Feanor said, "None and none," right. and you know he he ordered the ships to be burned. Yeah, um, baggage, they're nothing. You know, right, me. right. Yeah. So Mithros did want to be faithful. Yes. Um, and he did want to send for uh, Fingolfin's host and, and the, Finar, the remainder yeah, of Finarfin's host. The rest of them all uh, but, but Fingon does not know that no. yet. In Fingon's mind, it is he has no reason to believe that Mithros wasn't completely in league with his father. And right. keep in mind that Fingon's dad, Fingolfin, holds the sons to be the accomplices of the father. Right. Yeah. So he is going against his father's will. Well, yeah. I mean, not explicitly. Uh, it's not like his... Dad it's not said, like his dad said, dare, don't rescue, rescue Mithros, right. But, but, but it's, he knows that this is something his father would not approve of no. if Mithros is who they all think he is. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. This mm-hmm. is an example of not only self-sacrifice, but unconditional love. Absolutely. This is, this is a guy who loves his friend, even if his friend has abandoned him. Mm-hmm. Even wow, if he, that's amazing. That is so immensely powerful. Mm-hmm. And I think that's one of the reasons why this works. Yeah. You know, why, why he's able to successfully do this. There's a, there's a sense that when the humble person or the person with the right motive does something, it, it seems to work. Now, is that Iluvatar? Is that Spabimi? I, I kind of think it is. And, you know, this is a situation where we see that in action. Uh, these are characteristics that, that, you know, we want to see in people, this mm-hmm. self-sacrifice, yeah. this unconditional love. These are the characteristics that make a hero. This is exactly. This is in Middle Earth and elsewhere. But yeah, you know, this is uh, this is the this is the opposite of Feanor. You yeah, know, exactly. It's, it's, this really is, and it's amazing. And that's why this is one of my favorite stories. Though yeah. I, I always wonder, in what pocket did he have his harp? <laughs> I mean, how does it? <laughs> let me bring my harp. <laughs> that's like I'm going to rescue a guy, and by the way, I'm going to bring my harp. <laughs> It's like in The Hobbit when uh, all the I dwarves know, have the all their instruments with them. Like, really, you guys? Fine. It's one thing to have guys, a flute. It's another thing to have like a yeah, bass, like a like a bass a or a, like a harp. Yeah, it's like, like really, what did you, you sh- pull this out of the bag of you holding. Slept apparently, a, you slept a bass all the way over here from Erebor after you know a generation in diaspora. Yeah. Seriously, it cracks me up. But, yeah, um, but you know, it's a small harp. It's it's a, a probably, portable yeah. harp. It's an eye harp. It's. An, <laughs> it's <laughs> It's a small wire. There you go. Doesn't have the wireless buds yet, thankfully. But um, 
Yeah, I and I would say nowhere near as powerful as the unconditional love. I, I kind of like the fearlessness of his youth there too. Just, oh yeah. Uh, you know, I, it, this is nobody's taking action right now. You know, you got two, right. the family is split in half. Yep. Two sides of the lake. My side, your side. Um, and, you know, nobody's doing anything to yeah. um, to heal this rift. Right. Fingon is like, I'm going to well, do forget something. Forget this. I'm going you know, to get this I'm thing gonna, done. Yeah, I'm going to do something. And I'm going to do something that's crazy, that's probably a bad idea, but yeah, I'm going to do it might anyway. Might just get me killed. And um, I and I realized probably if Feanor had done the same thing, I probably would say he was foolish and Fingon does it and I say he's awesome. But Feanor wouldn't and, have ever done this because it would no, have required him to set aside his own motives, his own reason. goals. Yeah. That's yeah, the that's thing. True. See, Fingon yeah. here sets aside everything. It's uh, willingness right. the to rationale. Give it he's it's so it's such a sacrifice. It's it amazing. Is. And um And then there's the singing. The, I love the singing. I, I was too. totally reminded of um of in Lord of the Rings, that moment mm-hmm. when Sam is singing in the Tower of Kirith Ungol. Yeah. And I just, I, I could not help but think of that when I was I was reading yeah. this. And, and doesn't, uh, I mean, he also was singing a song of his home, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. Song of the Shire. Um, it's just beautiful, yeah. beautiful moment. It's really. Um, so, you know, but we get to this point where, you know, Mithros knows he can't get out. Uh, so he's, you know, he's asking Fingon to kill him. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. It's a hard thing, you know, and, and Fingon yeah. is like, well, I don't see any other choice. I'm going to do this, but I love this. Even, even then he still sends up a prayer. Yeah. You know, he, he's asking Manway and here's Manway who just a little bit ago is saying, y'all are done. Um, you know, don't come back. Uh, the, even the, the tears of your, la- the, the, the echoes of your lamentation aren't going to make it back. Mm-hmm. But, but this prayer does. Well, and, and what I, and what I love about the prayer is. Uh, it's, it shows that, you know, Mithros is, he just wants to die. He's got no hope. He doesn't, he doesn't see any way yeah, out of this. You know, and that's key, Fingon. being in anguish without yeah. hope. Mm-hmm. That's yeah. so key. Cause remember we've talked about hope and despair. This right. is despair. Really? He, he, absolutely. I don't have, a, I, there's nothing I can do, but then I'll take the last paragraph here. His prayer was answered swiftly for Manway to whom all birds are dear and to whom they bring news upon Taniquatil from middle earth had sent forth the race of eagles, commanding them to dwell in the crags of the north and to keep watch upon Morgoth. For Manway still had pity for the exiled elves. And the eagles brought news of much that passed in those days to the sad ears of Manway. Now, even as Fingon bent his bow, there flew down from the high airs Thorondor, king of eagles, mightiest of all birds that have ever been, whose outstretched wings span thirty fathoms, and staying Fingon's hand, he took him up and bore him to the face of the rock where Mithros hung. But Fingon could not release the hell-wrought bond upon his wrist, nor sever it, nor draw it from the stone. Again, therefore, in his pain, Mithros begged that he would slay him. But Fingon cut off his hand above the wrist, and Thorondor bore them back to Mithrim. Incredible. Incredible. Just, and, you know, it, it's it's a it's a catastrophe in, in miniature, which is yeah. one of the reasons I think we see the eagles. Um, you know, I think you're right. Yeah, <laughs> that's you know, with the eagles always the show eagles up. Show when, up yeah. There's yeah. there's always sure that. a sign of a catastrophe. Huge, and it's a it's a good reminder. It's a mm-hmm. good reminder for those who you know uh, wonder why the eagles show up when they do. You know, they are they are emissaries of Manway. They're yeah. doing 
the, the bidding of the Valar. And he did have And here it's very explicit that there was a prayer. That's true. That Manway is answering. Yeah. I'm um, blown away by the size of Thorondor. 30 fathoms. Now, yeah. for, for those who don't know, a fathom is approximately six feet. So right. 30 fathoms is 180 feet from wingtip to wingtip. Now, that's 60 that's yards. So if his wing is on the goal line of a football field, of an American football field, his other wingtip is on the other 40-yard line. On the other 40-yard line. That wow. is a big bird. And then for our for our metric listeners, what that, I mean, a yard is fairly close, close to, a to a meter, right? Yeah. So probably, maybe a, about, a meter is a little longer, so probably like 55, 55 meters, meters 60 meters, 55 to 60 meters, yeah. I just don't know wow. how big a soccer pitch is, though, but I would imagine that's probably from... The end line to the mid to the you know midfield probably to side. the mid yeah I think they're a bit bigger than uh, than a football field an American yeah. football field. I think yeah. it's probably about sixty meters rather than fifty to get to that yeah. level but I, I don't know still massive massive, massive. bird um, so it's really not that big deal for him to to carry <laughs> to, to carry, carry two elves up there or or most of two elves <laughs> <laughs> sorry I kid my throws I kid him oh man. Um, He'd slap I, I you, love but it. he's still learning how to use that, that with his left hand. hand. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, but I love, a, again, this, yeah. just this, the hope versus despair. Exactly. Um, it really is. I, it's kind of subtle here, but again, Mithras again begs to be killed yeah. uh, because he sees no way, no hope, no way out. But Fingon, he's got a little tiny bit of hope. Well, mm-hmm. I can't have all of Mithras, but I can have most of him. And, you yeah. know, I'd, I'd rather have... Um, I'd rather have most of most of my friend, most of than my cousin, of yeah, than none of him. Um, it's beautiful. It really is. And he remembered to take part to take home the more important part. <laughs> he didn't leave Mithras <laughs> there and take the hand back. Wait, don't take the hand, dude. Come on. <laughs> well, of course, now that he's cut the hand, you'd think they could take the hand and the and Mithras and reattach. No, they don't have. Never mind. They don't. They they can't reattach the the hand. He didn't. I, have I a, guess. A I guess of they, ice or anything. No, I guess not. But I mean, you know, we we hear about elves healing themselves when they've got the light of Oman in them. It, it, it does kind be of be pretty amazing question. though to grow back an entire hand. Yeah, but still, well, not grow back. Just kind of, you know, just graft oh, just the graft it back, back on. Yeah. <laughs> okay, now we're really pretty far we're, afield. We're, we're, this is a weird fanfic. <laughs> we <should laughs> Let's not go any further. <laughs> um, so I'm going to have you take that next paragraph. Then. Yep. Then Mithros in time was healed. For the fire of life was hot yeah. within him. See, yeah. that's, I guess that's where I was getting that from. That's true. And his, and his strength was of the ancient world, such as those possessed who were nurtured in Valinor. His body recovered from his torment and became hale, but the shadow of his pain was in his heart, and he lived to wield his sword with left hand more deadly than his right had been. By this deed, Fingon won great renown, and all the Noldor praised him, and the hatred between the houses of Fingolfin and Feanor was assuaged. Yeah. For Mithros begged forgiveness for the desertion in Araman, and he waived his claim to kingship over all the Noldor, saying to Fingolfin, If there lay no grievance between us, Lord, still the kingship would rightly come to you, the eldest here of the house of Finway, and not the least wise. But to this his brothers did not all in their hearts agree. And there's that last line of foreboding, isn't there? Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, he's he's, he's showing full repentance for... Humility something and repentance. Something he wasn't, for something that, you know, he, he actually tried to stop. Right. You know, the abandonment. Um, he's showing for repentance. repentance. Those are the Total words humility. that we see yeah. all the time. You know, those yeah. are the characteristics that are supposed to be demonstrated. And yeah. 
you know, we see the love in Fingon and that self-sacrifice, and now we see it, you know, repaid in in that repentance and, and humility. It's awesome. Yep. Yep. Um, but again, not all the Feanorians are, are there with him. No. It's, uh, I'm thinking the ones that start with the letter C. Probably, probably the Cs, yeah. yeah. I don't know about Amrod and Amros, but pretty sure the, the Cs disagree. Yeah. Um, boy, you know, I, I love that he lived to wield his sword with left hand more deadly than his right had been. That's pretty cool. I've got news for you. I am now left-handed. <laughs> <laughs> I am now left-handed. <laughs> yep. Uh, you know, we got to get more Princess Bride lines in we, there. We've, well, we've made the rounds tonight on the Geek we Reference. We have. We're doing well. We have. Um, I wonder sometimes, you know, because I, I I know our audience is, is pretty international. I, I'm i always surprised. You know, we, we've got folks in everything from Pakistan to Indonesia to uh, off the mm-hmm. coast of Africa to, uh, you know, um, several countries in Europe. Yeah. Uh, all over the U.S. I think we've we've got some of the folks in the in the what's the fifty first state that's in the north. Oh, I'm sorry, that's Canada. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, I'm I kid I kid our northern brothers. We love <laughs> we, you. We've already we've already gotten we got grief because we've we already we got forgot that, that, Amaz- <laughs> that Amazon Amazon in Canada, in Canada works just as well as Amazon in the U.K. Yeah, uh, we know that now, and we thank you. Uh, we but do. you know, we do have an international audience, and I I don't know that all of our pop culture references are going to fly. It's kind of like when I first started watching Top Gear and I didn't get half of the things that they said because they were all, right. uh, you know, references to things in, in British culture yeah. that yeah. I didn't understand. But, um, you know, it still made – the show was still and, great and well, I still and, watched it. So, And then we have no idea how big a soccer field is and we call it soccer. <laughs> oh, you're right. We did. Well, that's because I – I would call it football if I hadn't just talked about football. About That's American problem. football, yeah. You know, yeah, no, I, I mean, but, you know, I can I can always, uh, uh, you know, Google that. How big is a soccer pitch, right? I mean, <laughs> that's, you know, thank goodness we have internets. Uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, apparently it's a variable. Who knew? Who knew? 110 to 120 yeah. yards. Oh, is it? Well, that's why we can't remember. So it's 100 to so 110 meters but... according to FIFA. So that's that's so it so is about half. Yeah. Orondor's wingspan was about half. My of a goodness, pitch. that is big. <laughs> yeah. How I mean, man, big bird. You don't want him near your car right after you've gotten it washed. <laughs> Just gonna leave that right there. Yep. Um, <laughs> yeah. I. This is this is a pretty powerful moment for Mithras to say. Yeah. Kingship, and so we get that whole thing about the dispossessed, as Mandos had foretold. Um, right. And it's interesting. He's saying he's saying if there lay no grievance, still the kingship would come to you, the eldest of the house of Fenway. So he's saying that the kingship doesn't go to, to the, the son of the son king. Of the it son. goes yeah. to the eldest of the line of the king. Yeah. That's an interesting that I, I don't know the name of that, but that's a an interesting form of an, of inheriting the kingship. Mm-hmm. Um because well, we'd see how that that will, you know, impact things later. Um, but yeah, the line now goes through Fincon. Um, yep. big, big problem for, uh, for those C brothers who aren't very pleased about that. Right. But it wouldn't matter. They never would have been king. I mean, this is Mithros. Mithros is the only one of the line that would have been king out of these seven. He's the oldest of the children of Fanor. Right. That's true. So it's really, it's his call to make. Honestly. It is his call to make. Yeah. And I, and I love it because... You know, we talk about humility and repentance, but it's always an act in keeping with repentance. And this is an act mm-hmm. in keeping with repentance. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, like we see the split between the sons of Fanor. Some are okay with this, some aren't. Um, big thing. Yeah. So now we get uh, the response of, uh, well, let's see, we get 
Uh, we have Thingol. We're up to uh, Thingol now, aren't we? Yeah, now? Thingol doesn't exactly, you know, isn't pleased to have all these He's people show up. Yeah. Uh, they want yeah. new lands. He's not too keen on giving them any lands. Um. He certainly maybe. doesn't want to let the girdle down. He's going to build that girdle and make them pay for it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Had to go there. Um, you know, <laughs> sorry, I really am, yeah. folks. I'm not saying any, I'm not, I'm not making any analogies. This is not allegory. <laughs> no, no. Um, uh, Just a timely, timely very humorous timely. reference. Right, exactly. Yeah. And again, that's a very American reference. Yeah. Um, so only Finarfin's line. Although I think we're making news all around the world with this election cycle. Oh, we probably are, aren't we? <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm just going to have to stop on that yeah. right there. Yeah, um, yeah. So because they are related, you know, because uh, his niece, uh, niece, yes, his niece, yes, is his niece Arwen. was Arwen. Yep. So, so that the is people in Arwen's house are his, um, you know, his kin. It's his his great nieces and nephews. You yeah. Know, I mean, you know, Finrod and Galadriel are his great niece and nephew. Yeah. So that's pretty close kinship. I mean, I remember my great uncle and my mm-hmm. great aunt. You know, very. Oh yeah, clearly. yeah, and same they were, here. You know, very important in my life. So. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, these are close kin, and they're allowed to come in. So the first one, you take this, uh, you know, who, who shows up here? I, sh- I should have said Angrod is his great nephew because he's the one who actually goes to visit he is. him. You're right. <laughs> hey, Uncle, what's going on? Yeah. Okay. Um, if I can just get my ebook to cooperate here, <laughs> I will. Uh... It's so much easier than using the, the the actual book when we're reading. I know when we're taking notes, yeah. it's nice to do it on paper. It's nice to have the book, but when we're Recording the podcast, it's much easier to have you know have it on ebook. Yeah, okay, you have it up. So. <laughs> I can I can stall longer. <laughs> I can stall longer. God, oh, beautiful! And you even gave me a little extra because the echo. I had a little extra couple of microseconds. Got it. Okay. <laughs> Angrod, son of Finarfin, was the first of the exiles to come to Menegroth as messenger of his brother Finrod. And he spoke long with the king, telling him of the deeds of the Noldor in the north, and of their numbers, and of the ordering of their force. But being true and wise-hearted, and thinking all griefs now forgiven, he spoke no word concerning the kinslaying, nor of the manner of the exile of the Noldor, and the oath of Feanor. King Thingol hearkened to the words of Angrod, and ere he went, he said to him, Thus shall you speak for me to those who sent you, to those that sent you. In Hithlum the Noldor have leave to dwell, and in the highlands of Dorthonion, and in the lands east of Doriath that are empty and wild. But elsewhere there are many of my people, and I would not have them restrained of their freedom, still less ousted from their homes. Beware, therefore, how you princes of the West bear yourselves, for I am the Lord of Beleriand, and all who seek to dwell there shall hear my word. Into Doriath none shall come to abide, but only such as I call guests, or who seek me in great need. So Angrod doesn't—he doesn't exactly lie, but he doesn't tell them the whole story. Kind of, kind of a white lie, right? It's, yeah. it's kind of an omission, you know. Um, but it sounds like he's—it doing seems well intentioned, out of innocence, right? Yeah, 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 right. True and wise-hearted is not something you apply to somebody who's trying to be deceitful. No, that's uh, he true. He genuinely thinks everything's forgiven, so those other things aren't important anymore. Which but is strange. That is strange, considering you're be- talking to the the uncle of. Many of the people who were killed. Yeah. Let's just yeah, be clear. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, that's not going to fly so well. No, no, it's um, not. And um, 
and I, th- I, 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 I like Thingol's, um, Thingol's, uh, you know, strength here. I don't know if strength is quite the right word, but, um, you know, just his, his sort it's of confidence, cert- certainly. It's confidence. Thank you. Assertive That's exactly sort of, uh, you yeah. know, this exactly. is how it is here, folks. This yeah. is not your land. This is my land. This is my land. This land um, is my land. It isn't your <laughs> land from the highlands of Dorit. Dor- 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 <laughs> to Bel- the West Beleriand. To, to West Beleriand. From the Falas to Enfalgrith. You, you, you said you were never going to sing on this podcast. <laughs> well, that was just a little, that was too obvious for me to miss that opportunity. <laughs> this land but, uh, was made for me and me. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, man, it must be late. Yeah, it is. Well, um, that actually brings me to the map, right? I mean, don't we want to kind of yeah, chat about that? Yeah, let's do that. that. It's, probably, um, it's probably a good So good he's claimed, again, as we talked about before, lordship over all of Beleriand. So, but he tells them where they can live, right? He says, in Hithlam, they have leave to dwell. Okay, that's over here in the far that's northwest of the map. Uh, over pretty, past, pretty uh, far from Doriath. And you, you pretty know. far north. Um, yeah. A little chilly up there. Uh, yep. Also in the highlands of Dorthonian. Okay, that's not too far from Dorth. That's directly north between so that is Okay, yeah, it's uh, labeled Tower Nufuin is the larger name on. The, yeah, but that's mm-hmm. sort of between those two sets of mountains. Yeah, so you get to live uh, between Mor- uh, between Morgoth and me. <laughs> yeah, well, I like that idea. <laughs> you get to live between Morgoth and the Arid Gorgoroth. <laughs> right. Yeah. Spiders between on one scary side. Scary and scarier. And, yeah. <laughs> and in the highlands, oh, it's the highlands of Dorthon, and the lands east of Doriath that are empty and wild. So, like Estelad and Thargelion, uh, right. you know, East Balerian. Certainly not further down in Osirian, because we know that they're that's where the the green elves are. Right. Um, but so they're given you know some some opportunities to live there. But you're not going to come into Doriath unless you're my guest. Yeah. Um, or seek me in great need, as they say. Well, so now we get. The response, don't we? <clears throat> this is fun. So, <laughs> now the lords of the Noldor held council in Mithrim, and thither came Angrod out of Doriath, bearing the message of King Thingol. Cold seemed its welcome to the Noldor, and the sons of Feanor were angered at the words. But Mithros laughed, saying, A king is he that can hold his own, or else his title is vain. Thingol does but grant us lands where his power does not run. Indeed, Doriath alone would be his realm this day, but for the coming of the Noldor. Therefore, in Doriath, let him reign, and be glad that he has the sons of Finway for his neighbors, not the orcs of Morgoth that we found. Elsewhere it shall go, as seems good to us. But Caranthir, who loved not the sons of Finarfin, and was the harshest of the brothers, and the most quick to anger, cried aloud, Yea, more, let not the sons of Finarfin run hither and thither with their tails to this dark elf in his caves. Who made them our spokesmen to deal with him? And though they be come indeed to Beleriand, let them not so swiftly forget that their father is a lord of the Noldor, though their mother be of other kin. <laughs> then Angrod was wrathful and went forth from the council. Mithros indeed rebuked Caranthir, but the greater part of the Noldor, of both followings, hearing his words, were troubled in heart, fearing the fell spirit of the sons of Feanor that it seemed would ever be like to burst forth in rash word or violence, like father, like sons, apparently. Like yeah, yeah, exactly. They, they really don't change. And and I'm mm. even, you know, I'm even disappointed in Mithros here. Who, I know he showed has, so much such humility before, and now yeah. he's being this kind of arrogant little, yeah, spoiled brat, really. Yeah, it's. I mean, he's just kind of certainly way better than Caranthir here, but well, yeah. you know, still, still <laughs> just laugh, nasty, laughing it, it off. You know, I mean, this is this is Elway. You know, 
that you're yeah. talking about. This is one of the original three emissaries of the Valar, and exactly. you're just sort of laughing off his claim to lands that he's lived in for, oh, thousands and thousands of years, yeah. by the way. 10 to 12,000 years, I think we figured for them. Yeah, yeah. So um, it's an arrogance. It's kind of a, I don't know, kind of a harmless arrogance, I guess, but it's still arrogant. Yeah, well, and to a, to a point, he's actually right. I mean, it, Well, that know, is true. The yeah. king, no, the, the, the first part it. he says is right. The, the king is he that can hold his own. If if this is his land, then he needs to have people there. If yeah. it's empty and he doesn't have any power, then of course we can live there. Yeah. But he does get a little snotty with the whole, you know, well, if it wasn't for us, you know. Right. <laughs> He's very, very Although uh, that, that too, I guess, is technically true. That's true. Know? I mean, he would have had the orcs of Morgoth as neighbors. But, yeah. Um, yeah. But really, it's, it's, it's the attitude, Caranthir. isn't it? Yeah. It, yeah. Caranthir. yeah. But He's really, nasty. it's Caranthir who's just, I mean... Well, and he doesn't this even. Just, yeah, he doesn't even want the the sons of Finarfin being involved in this uh, communication. <laughs> right. No. Like, I mean, he's he's treating the the the, the sons of Finarfin as their as though they're other. You know. Yeah. Well, um, to him, they are, of course, because they're mother. Because they're because they're Partelleri, Yeah. You know. Well, they're just hey. and they're not sons of of. Uh, and they're not sons of Feanor. Feanor. You know. Point. So. But Nasty I mean, I, but this this comment about their mother being of other kin. I mean, you can see why Angrod <laughs> yeah. got mad. Um, <laughs> you know, referring to and then referring to we, Thingol we as don't this dark we, elf in his caves. Yeah, that's true. That really is a dark elf in his caves. But yeah, we, we're not. You know, we're not at the point where we should be telling you mama jokes. You know, I mean, <laughs> right, shouldn't exactly. be bagging on on. Uh, this is yeah, just not yeah. right. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Um, but yeah. So now we get <laughs> your, your mama's so tell her and never mind. Just, <laughs> Let's not go there at all. <laughs> um, we're going to pull up the map here because the rest of this is pretty map heavy. Yes. Um, so we get where they all go. Let's take a look here. This is we're just going to kind of skim this section. We're not reading it. But um, so let's see the region of the March of Mithros. We can see that under the uh, area of the land called Lothlan. Uh, it's mm-hmm. up in the northeast por- uh, corner of the map. You'll see that. Boy, that's yeah. That is really it, tiny text. Okay, it is. It's very tiny text. But what's what's kind of interesting about that is that land it doesn't have a lot of natural defense. It's not a narrow land. It's not mm-hmm. fenced in by big mountains. It is a weak point, and Mithros is the one to take it because he knows you know that that that's his purpose there to lessen yeah. the chance of strife. He's the one who's willing to take that that risk on himself. And I think yeah. that's pretty cool. That kind of puts him back in my good graces. Um, that's a that's a great, I mean, really good sacrifice there. Um, you know, uh, putting himself sort of in harm's way there. Uh, and uh, and also, I like also that he's taking responsibility for his brothers, you know, uh, wanting to uh, lessen the chances of strife, you know, get get them out of there <laughs> where they can't cause any trouble. Um <laughs> Which is cool, um, and and not surprisingly, you know, we see that he remained friends with the houses yeah. of Fingolfin and Finarfin because, uh, you know, he kind of put a, put his money where his mouth is, so to speak, as we say true. in the U.S. Well, and he um, rebuked uh, Caranthir for his... and he rebuked Caranthir. That's true. Yeah. Speaking of whom, they end up living further east. Oh, they... before we go on that, yeah. I just want to say, uh, so this oh, is just yes, one of my March. favorite words, yeah. March. I just love this. Uh, Tell us what that means. This sure. March of Mithros. So this is a word we, I think we've talked about it before on the podcast. It mm-hmm. uh, it's basically means a border territory. Right. Um, and it's the same word, actually, that Tolkien renders as Mark 
when he refers to uh, Rohan. The Ritter um, Mark. Right. You know, the Ritter Mark. Yeah, it's a, it's the border territory of Rohan. It's because it's on the you know the border of, of Gondor. Um, so anyway, I just I wanted to point it out because it's uh, it's just one of my favorite words. Well, Mark, the real life Lord of the Mark. You'd have As to the real be, life uh... Lord of the Mark. Yes, and that, <laughs> for anybody who missed our our first episode, that's actually what my last name means is Lord of the Mark. So. Um, that that march there is actually the first five letters of my last name. <laughs> Very cool. That's, that's Very why cool. I like it. Had to well, throw that out there. And I like it too. So Caranthir well, thank you. dwells further east, uh, beyond the upper waters of Gelion, about Lake Helivorn. So <laughs> this is on the map, but it's in the far east. If you look b- south of the March of Mithros and then east a little bit, you'll see Lake Helivorn there in the shadow of the mountains. Tiny, tiny little lake. Yeah, sort of so it looks like mountains. that's yeah. where they live. So they kind of live right behind Mithros in terms of, uh, you know, where Morgoth is. So, mm-hmm. you know, you, okay, brother, you stand right over there. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm going to yeah. stand behind you. Uh, don't worry, I got your back. Um, so that's where Cairnthir lives, uh, and they ended up in, involved with the dwarves, uh, making yep. alliance. Do we get a lot of the other – we don't really get any of the others where they uh, live The other yet. brothers we'll at get this them, point. No. We'll get them later. But you came up with chapter. something that I don't think I'd ever really caught about Cairnthir before. Yeah, this is just something neat that uh, that I picked up on. Um, you know, you, you mentioned that uh, he had you know traffic with the dwarves because they were right there um, on the Ered Luin, um, and uh, it does say here that uh, since both peoples feared and hated Morgoth, they made alliance and had mm-hmm. of it great profit. Right. For the Nalgrim learned many secrets of craft in those days, um, and uh, and I, it just it was kind of neat. I just sort of picked up on this idea of. Um, Oh, and then actually goes on to say that uh, the let's see, where does it go? And when the dwarves <laughs> began again to journey into Beleriand, all the mm-hmm. traffic of the dwarf mines passed first through the hands of Caranthir. Of course, and it thus did. great riches came to him. So it it just struck me that Caranthir uh, has basically set up this little um, you know, this sort of little realm on the side that yeah. he's just getting rich off trade. Yeah. Um, which is fascinating. I mean, he's uh, he's actually going to disappear for the most part. For I don't know, maybe about forty pages or so, which is right. something like four hundred years of of narrative. Um, he's going to pop up occasionally. You know, you'll hear references to people passing through the realm of Caranthir, um, and you know, you'll see that people mention that he's not <laughs> that he's not going to war and things like that. Right, that's the thing. He's, it's one thing yeah, to sit back and get rich. Another thing to sit back and get rich and let your brothers do the get fighting. Rich and let your brothers do all the fighting while you don't you don't come to war. It's actually going to be a very long time. It's going to be a very significant event that's going to mm-hmm. happen later on. That's yes. going to bring him back uh, to battle. Yeah. Um, it's it's really going to take a lot to get him out of this. And I just thought it was really fascinating. Um, I you think know, it is too. we've seen we've seen a very bad side of Caranthir. You know, just now with the uh, with the argument uh, yeah. over Bingal's words, now we're seeing another bad side of him. He's and we we'll get just, to see more later. And we're gonna get to see a lot more later. A lot more. Um, he's a nasty, nasty little man. It's and this is just like it's the pettiest thing, isn't it? it? Is. I mean, he's, they came to Middle Earth to you know avenge their father to to fight Morgoth to get back to, to Silmarils. Silmarils. Not not the best of intentions in the first place, and he's not even gonna do that anymore. No, he's just, he's gonna, just gonna, gonna sit and skim off the top of traitors. You know. Yeah. Yeah. So I thought that was an interesting uh, thing that and... I, yeah, exactly. Yeah. It was just an interesting thing I never picked up on before yeah. until this past reading. I hadn't picked uh, it up on it at all. And so when I, you know, and you and I were talking about it, it was, it was just interesting. I, I had not caught yeah. that, but it fits with Karen Thier. Uh, it totally know, in terms does. Of yeah. his, his personality. Uh, he's, yeah. He strikes me as 
one of the most Feanor-like in terms of his um, greed, in terms of his selfishness, in terms of his anger. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, there are others, you know, but I, I, I'm constantly reminded when I see these differences between the brothers of that wonderful line uh, about Feanor's wife, um, who she bequeathed her mood to some, but mm-hmm. not to all. But not to all, yeah. Yeah. And then Current there just, I think it's just compounded by the fact that I don't even really see that he's got much to offer besides no. his bad attitude. You know, <laughs> of all the horrible things we've said about his father, at least his father was good at a few yeah, things. Yeah, that's true. His father did have some pretty amazing talent. And yeah. yeah, yeah, you're right. I mean, this guy's not making any palantiri. He's not making any gems. Oh. He's not writing any scripts. He's just... Right, exactly. He's... Although we do see, although this is interesting, um, that it does say the Nalgrim did learn some secrets of craft. So... You know, I guess they must have learned yeah. something. He must have had He'd some. He'd hold on to some knowledge, uh, certainly. certainly. Right, right. And I, I, I actually, uh, this made me think of uh, Telkar. I think a few, a ah, few episodes ago. Ah, yeah, we talked, ago, we about, talked that. about that. You're right. Yeah, we talked about the fact that uh, Telkar was uh, one of the dwarves of Nograd. And um, I think we were trying to figure out, was he uh, was he working then when we were talking about the Sindar? Um, mm-hmm. And uh, I'd forgotten this part uh, here. It refers to the dwarves of Nograd. So it's possible that maybe... This is when Telkar comes in. Maybe he was working with a little bit of uh, Noldoran knowledge here. Total speculation, but total speculation. But that's what there. we do on the Prancing yes, Pony exactly. podcast. It's our thing. That's the Prancing Pony podcast treatment. <laughs> that almost called for the effect, but I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna uh, pass almost. On that. Okay. But it does wrap it up for another episode of the Prancing Pony podcast. Uh, as always, folks, we really do thank you for joining us, especially tonight. We were a little. Um, a little different tonight, I think. <laughs> so thanks for joining us. And join us again next time when we finish up the chapter with the Merith Adrathad, the Dagor Aglareb, and a bunch of other things we'll probably mispronounce. <laughs> Plus, Ulmo gets involved in affairs in Middle-earth again, doesn't he? He does. Yeah, he might set a thing or two in motion. We'll have to see. We will. And we get the first appearance of Glaurung, much to the dismay of Morgoth, of course. <laughs> As always, that, if you need... <laughs> if you need cheap paperbacks to mark up, please use the links on our library page at theprancingponypodcast.com. Uh, we also have links to audiobooks and music CDs and a few other cool things for your Tolkien collection. And if you haven't done so already, please subscribe on iTunes or Google Play Music. We need your iTunes reviews, so please, if you haven't left us a review yet, please do so. Really appreciate it. Also on Twitter and tune in. Thanks to those of you who are visiting and commenting to us on social media. Um, this is The Prancing Pony, of course, and you can join the conversation on Facebook at The Prancing Pony Podcast or on Twitter at Prancing Pony Pod. And social media is a great place to share our podcast as well. Retweet us, share us, uh, tell your friends. And one last thing, as always, don't forget to send your questions, comments, or helpful hints for left-handed living to the Prancing Pony Podcast <laughs> at gmail.com. Too soon? And we'll uh, try to get them into our next episode. Oh, man. Well, an hour and 45 minutes is still far too short a time to spend amongst such admirable listeners. But until next time. Farewell, friends. <laughs>